0: Everything about world-class championship wrestling and Lance Von Eric doesn't sound like wrestling to me. Find out what brother Lance was created for. It wasn't Mike. Read why Chris Adams escaped authorities in another country. Find out how they hid the severity of Kerry's leg injury. And all that too. Lance, by chance, wrestling is a Von Eric. Buy your book today at Wrestleville.com.
1: Yeah, this is Jeff Bearden, the Giant Warrior. If you want to know anything about wrestling and about wrestlers, this is the podcast to
0: listen to. You're listening to the Russellville Podcast. I'm your host, Vinny Berry, and my guest today is Jeff Bearden, professional wrestler of three decades, what, almost 31 years? You wrestled as the giant warrior who you had quite the international career. And we're definitely gonna talk about that. Jeff, how you doing, my friend? I'm
1: doing good. You know, nice, nice, wonderful day here in Florida today. So you know, can't beat the weather out of here.
0: I I bet. I bet. Where I live in Texas, it gets a little hot, gets a little humid. I bet it can get that way over there as well, but it's just pretty, right? Just not the heat. You know, it gets, it gets really humid and stuff, but I
1: I don't think I, since I've been here for the last five years, I've ever seen a 100-degree day. Oh, wow. It's always been 97, 98 and stuff during the summer and stuff, but I don't think I've ever seen a 100.
0: Wow, good for you. Yeah. Yeah, because that's all 100 recently.
1: Been and a bit of was a difference strange. instead of being in Las Vegas.
0: Oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah, I was talking to a uh, young lady from Phoenix uh just today and I was having uh uh nightmares. Oh yeah. <laughs> They can get it, they can get as bad as it used to get in Vegas. Yes, absolutely. So Jeff, you recently wrote a book. Please tell my listeners what the name of the book was.
1: The man behind the makeup. Um and it's just Covered basically my wrestling career and you know the three or four main characters and stuff that that i did you know giant warrior is probably where i first started making my name and uh you know i did butch masters for a little bit before that that was a cowboy gimmick uh tiger steel and stuff i'd started i'd been in south africa for so long that i started becoming a little bit stale because everybody had seen me so I took six months off. We did a character change, name change, and came back with a story behind why I did it. And then I started working as Tiger Steel and stuff and did that throughout Europe and did it in Mexico for a little while. And then the last one and stuff was Colossus the Gladiator.
0: Now, when so so we can explain to the, the listeners, describe your your size, your height, your weight, because you are. You know, when we call you a giant, you oh, yeah. you, you are. <laughs> yeah, I'm a
1: legit half inch over seven foot. And then I wrestled anywhere from, after I got going and stuff with my career and stuff, I wrestled anywhere from about 340 to 370. You know, when I first started wrestling and stuff, I wasn't, but about 285, 290 and stuff and looked like a basketball player, which was what I was, I just got through playing basketball, professional basketball in Belgium, and contacted the Funk's, and they got me started and started doing my training. And Dory moved from from Charlotte to Florida, and Dick Murdoch and stuff took over, and I worked with Dicky and stuff after that.
0: Yeah, I guess I guess you could say those guys are kind of credible, right?
1: A little bit. They they've done a couple of things in their careers.
0: Wow. You know, to to work under the Funks and then to work under Dick Murdoch. What do you think it was that they passed on to you that added to your success, you believe?
1: Well, you know, Dory, when we first started, you know, I hear all the horror stories about these guys and stuff that do the 5,000 pushups and setups and squats and running around the ring and all that other kind of stuff. Dory got me in the ring the first day and um, had me get on my hands and knees and stuff. And he locked me up, said, "Okay, try to get away from me. And it didn't matter what I did. I couldn't get away from him. And he told me, you know, after that stuff, he said, "Okay, that that's what we call a shoot. Now I'm going to teach you how to work. And we went straight into, you know, lockups and holes and bumps and, you know, all that that fun and wonderful stuff and you know so I learned a lot of the technical stuff from Dory you know I didn't use it a lot in my career cuz as big as I was and stuff you know my style was more like a, a bruiser brody style you know type style and so Dory's you know I could I could have gotten out there and chain wrestled with anybody you know I had the knowledge and stuff of how to do it and could do it but it just didn't fit my character you know and then Murdoch and stuff kind of taught me some of the crazier things in life and you know, we went over, you know, working the the outside the ring and doing the, you know, all the, the punching and kicking and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff I got from Murdoch. And then it just, you know, over the years and stuff, it just kind of melded with, you know, take a little bit from this guy, take a little bit from this guy, and a little bit from this one. And, you know, and then I just I developed my own style from that.
0: I'm sure you got a lot of psychology from those guys too, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, they they definitely taught me and stuff, you know, how to to work a crowd and you know, how to how to get my matches and stuff over and you know, it it was difficult. I was really uncomfortable the first couple of times I called matches. But, you know, once I got used to it and you know, like I said, I'd worked with so many good guys and stuff that it taught me different pieces and stuff here and there and stuff, you know, the from Abdullah the Butcher to Stan Hansen to Terry Gordy, you know, all those guys and stuff, you know, just taught me a little bit as we were working together and stuff. They would teach me as we were working because
0: I was still pretty green when I was working with those guys. Yeah. When you got done with the funks, where, where did you go? Did you go straight to the international scene or did you, I I think you went somewhere. I started
1: with uh, Jim Crockett. I started with
0: Crockett promotions and stuff and I
1: wasn't, Really getting the the work that I was wanting to get. You know, I was only working two, three, four times a month. And somebody put me in contact with a guy in Alabama and stuff that was running, you know, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And so I, I moved out to Birmingham and stuff and started working there where I was at least getting three, you know, three nights a week. And you know, from there I went to a little promotion in Florida and then then I started I went to Mexico and stuff. And after I went to Mexico, then all the international stuff started falling in place.
0: How would you compare the say outside of the United States to the United States? What was what was the biggest difference I think that that you might have?
1: I actually enjoyed working the international stuff more than I did in the States. And once I got going. I mean, it was always funny and stuff because you I would go into foreign countries and stuff and they would tell me and stuff. He said, now you better get ready for tonight and stuff because our stuff here is is real. It's not like that fake stuff you see in the States. So, I mean, the fans there were still believing in stuff in wrestling, which, you know, the States and stuff had lost all that, you know, years ago. So it was always more fun for me and stuff when it was the 80s and 90s style of wrestling and stuff than what it kind of turned into and, you know, to what it is now and stuff to where it's all the high-flying stuff and nobody in the world is going to believe you know, what's going on in the ring now. But back then it's stuff, you know, everybody wanted to believe it was real, and especially in foreign countries, you know. They so me coming in at my size and then being American on top of it, you know, I was the just the big American bully that came in to work with the the local guy. And so that was, yeah, you know, I enjoyed that a whole lot more than I did, you know, basically coming in and having the smart fans in the
0: States. It was so real. Uh, outside of the United States that you got stabbed, right?
1: Oh, one, two, five times. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Of course, I read your book, and you and I have talked. So I know some of the stories that you had. I mean, what was, I guess, the first time you got stabbed, what, I mean, what was running through your mind? Because for one thing, you think, well, damn, I must be doing my job really well, right?
1: <laughs> I did have that mentality every time I got stabbed and stuff. When I got back to the back and stuff, it's like, I guess I did my job right tonight. That I could push people to the point that they wanted to kill me. And that was that was always my mentality after something like that happened. I mean, the first time and stuff was in, God, 90, I guess, in, in Mexico City in the big bullfighting ring, Torreo, the Cuatro Caminos. And I just got through having a world title match and stuff with Kinect. And I had Owen Hart was my second when he, he was doing the blue blazer thing there. And both of us had worked in Mexico before. I'd worked in Mexico quite a bit. And I knew what they were capable of as far as throwing pesos and said, you know, pesos weren't worth anything, but they were big and heavy and they hurt. You know, so I mean I was I was used to that and you know, fans and stuff a lot of times when you were trying to go under a, a you know an overhang of some kind of stuff, guys would pee in cups and stuff and try to pour it in your face, you know, and, and you know, get you eye infections and things like that. So I knew to kind of keep my head down for things. And when they started throwing all the we had a really hot finish and um Owen and I had to fight our way basically back to the dressing room off of it. And So we had taken chairs from ringside and put them up over our heads and stuff in, our, in front of our faces so people couldn't throw the coins at us. Or, you know, they would pack, because there's a bullfighting ring, so there was dirt. So they would pack, you know, Coke cups and stuff with dirt and throw them. And somewhere, except on the way up, somebody and stuff had basically zoroed me and so they went me across and then back across and stuff a second time I had no idea it happened until I got to the back you know I started feeling the warmth and stuff you know from the blood and stuff running Because, and I ended up taking 60 stitches and stuff from it internal and external stitches and I remember telling the promoter and stuff I said you know he said oh you know it's great finish that they really got you out there and I said no they really got me and stuff and I pulled my hand away from my stomach and it was covered in blood So yeah, that was the, that was the first time, you know, and then um, once in Dominican Republic and three times in South Africa.
0: And, and some close calls, right? The one in South Africa. the One in
1: South Africa. Yeah. I I had a couple of close calls and stuff. The worst one and stuff I got, you know, the, I was, we were setting up an angle for me to wrestle against Gama Singh and in Durban and stuff. Durban's, 85, 90% Indian population and stuff. So Gama was God and stuff in India, you know, in Durban. And we set the angle up, you know, for me to go challenge him. He went to leave the ring. I jumped him. And, I mean, they started throwing chairs. As soon as I hit him with the second kick and stuff, they started throwing chairs. And, you know, it was those plastic molded, you know, chairs you see in libraries and things like that.
0: The old school chairs, right? The plastic ones, yeah.
1: Thank God they wouldn't. They weren't wooden. Uh, when I went to school, everything was wood. So yeah, stuff. So within forty-five seconds, they had the complete ring and stuff was was covered in chairs and stuff, and I mean piled up over the ring ropes. I had had to take. A, I took a chair and put it over my head and just sat down on a chair and just let them fill the ring up. It's all I could do because I couldn't get out. You know, while I was under there and stuff, I started smelling smoke and somebody tried to set the canvas on fire. And then everything went dark and I started hearing dogs. So they had brought the riot squad in to break everything up. And as we were taking the chairs off, there was a guy and stuff in the corner where I was. And I thought he was, you know, one of the workers and stuff for the shows. and stuff. You know, I didn't know those people. And as he's taking chairs and throwing them off of me, I'm taking chairs and throwing them off of me. And I had thrown a chair out, and as I turned back around, the guy had a, had a knife and stuff and stabbed me in the chest. And the doctor told me the only thing that had, that saved me that night stuff is that the blade was going vertical instead of horizontal. Because he said if it had been horizontal, it would go between my ribs and punctured my heart. And so that was probably the scariest one out of all of the... You know, out of all the times that I got stabbed and the, the, the riots that I caused and things like that. So that was probably the scariest.
0: You know, when you when you talk about that story, I I too wrote about that story in Lance's book. There was a couple details that maybe were a little different from the story that was told, but I was very pleased that it was very, 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 very close. <laughs> it was very, very, very close. And it, 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 it said to me is like, wow, you either, you listened well or you took good notes, right? (laughs) You know, and uh, I, I, for a writer that that's one of the things I like to do is, is try to be on spot, man. And uh, when I read your story in the book, I think, I, I don't think I, I called them. Uh, I don't think they were uh, the uh, the molded chairs, but other than that, everything else sounds pretty pretty similar. So, oh
1: yeah, I mean it, it was Durban could be a scary place. I wrestled in Durban fifteen times. I had eleven police escorts out of the building. So, and most nights and stuff was a you know we wrestled in a big tennis stadium, and I mean it was it was a fight almost every night to get from the ring back to the dressing room. You know, and of course, as soon as they start throwing things and stuff, security disappears. You're on your own. I, I, did you,
0: did you talk? I can't remember. Did you talk about the train bombing in your book? I don't yes. remember. Yes. Did you? Yeah. All right. Did you go into yeah. detail with it?
1: That, yeah, that was an interesting experience and stuff. Myself and uh, Lance von Eric and Dusty Wolf, we were all sitting in a car. A guy walked through. We didn't think anything about it. I think Dusty and I were playing cribbage. You know, and talking to, talking to Lance, and about two three minutes later, stuff. We hear this big explosion, and he had dropped a pipe bomb and stuff in the mail car, and so it blew up. You know, when it when it blew up, you look outside and it looked like it was snowing because there's so much paper in the air and stuff, you know, falling down from the explosion. So yeah, that was and you know we were stuck on the side of the road and stuff for you know, hours and stuff, waiting, waiting for them to get another train to us so we could get to, for wherever we were going. I think we were going back to Bombay or Mumbai, whatever you want to call it today. And so, yeah, that was, you know, they that could have easily been dropped in our car just as well as it was the next one.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. What was it, you know, you, you talked about Mexico, um, and when when did you go over to South Africa and how how all did that go about?
1: Uh, my first trip to South Africa was ninety one, ninety-two. And um Dusty Wolf was actually the one that was um booking talent and stuff for Paul Lloyd, who was the you know the big promoter there in South Africa. So, you know, Dusty was responsible for me getting there.
0: And let's Let's uh, clarify who Paul Lloyd is. We're talking about Paul Lloyd Sr. He wrestled as the Pink Panther yes. in South Africa. But he is the father of P.J. Black or Justin Gabriel. Yes.
1: Yeah, so, you know, we went in the that first time. And, and, you know, I caused a riot my first night. You know, we had Dusty and I had to fight our way back. And, I mean, they were throwing chairs and tables and everything else. And we had to go downstairs. And it was a, you know, winding kind of staircase. So people were still throwing stuff at us as we were trying to get down the stairs, you know? So, I mean, yeah, South African stuff could turn on you in a heartbeat and stuff. It could really, you could really get a violent crowd.
0: Right. You've talked about that. I was talking to Bart about that. And of course, Dusty, Dusty too. He, he talked about how dangerous the crowd could be, you know, and you, you never really knew, right. No, well, I, I had never...
1: no idea that South Africa was going to be that kind of, you know, that kind of possible violence and stuff involved with the crowd and stuff that they could be that bad. You know, I thought Mexico and stuff, you know, was, was pretty bad and Puerto Rico and stuff was horrible, but you know, I, I was a baby face in Puerto Rico. So people weren't throwing stuff at me, but you know, they weren't always the best of aims and missed and hit me often, you know? So <laughs> I thought Puerto Rico was bad, but South Africa, at times could be 10 times worse than Puerto Rico ever was. Wow. What do you think that was?
0: The climate?
1: I don't know. You know, I don't I don't know and stuff is because you know South Africa is a very heavy drinking country and stuff if people were just having that much to drink. But you know the the like I said, the worst crowds I dealt with were in Durban that was mostly an Indian crowd. You know, probably 90% of the crowd and stuff was, was Indian. And you know, it could it, like I said, they could turn on you in a heartbeat. You know, and I, I had after the the thing happened with me getting stabbed in the chest, we were supposed to come back the next week. And the promoter there in Durban, um Mono Singh, he had gotten over a hundred calls, death death threats of calls to the office and stuff said if I show up, they're gonna kill me. And you know, he got scared and and canceled the show. And me being, me being me, as if I was mad, I'm like, that's a sellout. If people are calling and threatening to kill me and stuff to the office and stuff, that thing is going to be sold out. But he was he was nervous and stuff about something happening to me, so he he canceled that last show. Oh, wow. and it was supposed to be my first match with Gama. Huh,
0: that would have been interesting. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, because I mean, I would have people in the the shopping mall that, you know, I used to go eat and go to the movies and stuff like that there in Durban and stuff when I had some off time. And I had people coming up to me in the mall and stuff saying, if you show up tonight and said, we're going to get you. It's like, wow, these people are taking this stuff serious.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, your book, Man Behind the Makeup. Right. And um, that's what we're talking about. My guest today is Jeff Bearden, the giant warrior. And um, I enjoyed your book. I I, I, I liked it. It was an easy read and it wasn't it wasn't long. So it wasn't intimidating. Right. It was easy to knock it out in in a few sittings, you know, because I was just reading a couple of chapters at a time. But the one story that I I think touched my heart that I'm glad that you put it in there. And um I wish there was more stories like this of your, your friends. I I would I, in, in in the book. I thought the story that you did on Rodney. Right. Rodney and Noy. Yep. Uh, I'm
1: glad uh, I didn't have more of those stories to tell, tell you the truth. Well,
0: not the sad ones, not the sad ones, but I I did like how you, you know, you broke, you know, broke the stories down and and told what kind of a person he was, what kind of a friend he was, what kind of family member he was. And I really got to see um, Rodney for who Rodney was, right? Right. And, And we're talking about. Yokozuna, and, you know, that's, that was why I like that story so much. It was so personal. I know it was sad. It had to be sad because you were with him at a very uh, difficult time. Go ahead and, if you would, share a little bit about your friendship with him.
1: Well, you know, Rod and I worked against each other in um, Pensacola, Florida, when we were both basically just breaking in. And so, so I, I mean, I had known him that long, you know, and then the, uh, we were working in, um, the UWA f- there in Mexico city and minus brought us both in at the same time and stuff and put us together as a tag. And after that we did every tour to Mexico together, you know, I would work some of the Northern cities, you know, on our time off from Mexico city that he didn't work with me because, you know, living in Texas and stuff, I was close to the border. But, you know, we had, we had a great friendship. We did everything together and stuff when we were there in Mexico. Um, you know, he he was the best friend I've ever had. So, I mean, it was, you know, very difficult. And then I moved to, you know, we quit working Mexico. Uh, and then shortly after that, I went to South Africa and they asked, you know, Paul asked me to come out and help him with the wrestling office. So I moved to South Africa. And, um, When WWE first came out to South Africa, I was doing uh, security work. I was doing bodyguarding work uh, when I wasn't wrestling. And we got the call and stuff that, you know, would y'all be interested in doing security work for all these wrestlers? And, you know, of course, my boss looked at me and stuff. He's like, well, you feel like hanging out with your friends for a week? I'm like, sure. So my job with that one ended up being driving Rodney around in a van because he couldn't fit on the bus. So And we hadn't seen each other for, you know, several years. And I remember I was behind a a set of trees and stuff in the lobby of a hotel as he's coming off the elevator. And of course, you know, I have to give him a hard time. So it was just like, um, I said, God, that guy's so fat. He's like, where are you? I recognize that voice. And so we reconnected from there, you know, so we were, you know, I did all the tours and stuff that he came to South Africa on. And then we were kind of out of pocket again. And then we got back in touch and stuff on um, a Saudi Arabian tour. And after that stuff, I mean, we were inseparable. You know, we talked to each other on the phone three or four times a week. And um, we did a couple of tours to Saudi Arabia. And we did another one somewhere else. And then he called me and stuff to see if I wanted to go on the, the England tour. That was, you know, of course, his last tour. And so we, you know, spent every day together on that one, go wrestle almost every day. And, you know, we went to uh, go pick him up that night to go to the show and he didn't come downstairs. And so we uh, went and knocked on the door and there was no answer. And so we talked to the, the management people and they came and opened the door. And I mean, he was, he was gone. You know, he was, you know, he looked peaceful. You know, he had the covers pulled up to his chest and, you know, they were able to pull back that he had, you know, on his uh, bill and stuff that he had watched the, the pay-per-view that they had just had. I think it was the one where Rikishi got knocked off of the cage into the back of the truck. And he had called and and then he, he could see where he called and talked to Rikishi that night. And I guess that was the last person he talked to before he died. Wow. And so the, you know, after that, the the hotel that he was staying in was great with me, you know, making sure I had a room and I had, you know, I can make all the phone calls I needed to make to call people and get the arrangements made. And, you know, I guess the first person I called was Offa, yeah. you know, and told him. And then I talked to Rikishi and stuff shortly after that. And, you know, I that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do and stuff was break that news to those guys. And, you know, the promoter wasn't the most helpful person as far as trying to get, you know, Rodney back home. And, you know, his sister flew out, his sister Venus flew out and I took care of her. And we went to the, you know, we went to the funeral home and sat with him for hours, but they took good care of her as well. And then, you know, we finally managed to get things, his ticket and everything else cashed in. So we were able to get him uh cause they had to fly him home cargo because he was so heavy. Rod was probably, six and a quarter, six fifty at that time. Wow. You know, so yeah, it was, you know, it it was a hard thing. I made the promoter and stuff do the 10 bell count every night he wasn't going to, but I mean, I insisted on him doing it. Probably the biggest memory and stuff that I have with him that always stands out in my mind on the way home to the hotel that we were staying at from the big arena in Mexico city and stuff, we went down this street called Sullivan street. And on it and stuff was where all the prostitutes were so there and all sorts of girls and stuff standing on the corners waiting to get picked up. So our bet on Sunday nights and stuff was, we would take a bet on how many girls we were going to count on the way back to the hotel and whoever lost stuff had to buy dinner that night. Well, dinner and stuff was always, we went across the street and there was a lady that showed up in a station wagon and brought out her cook stove and, her pots of beans and rice and made steaks. And, you know, that w- that was our Sunday night together and stuff. And we did that every Sunday that we were there. So, I mean, that's always one of my best memories and stuff that I can remember of him. And so that always comes to mind and stuff because we, you know, we used to have so much fun and laugh about, you know, I mean, I mean, there would be 60, 70, 80 girls and stuff on that street sometimes. So, I mean, that was always a, a fun story that we often... Laughed about when we talked about it and stuff. Another, you know, later on in life.
0: Jeff, tell us one more time the name of the book and where can people get it.
1: Name of the book is "The Man Behind the Makeup." Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can get it uh, either as a paperback. You can get it as an ebook, and it's also available on uh, Audible. It's an audiobook. So basically any way that you want to read or listen to it stuff, it's it's available to you.
0: The man behind the makeup, the Jeff Bearden, the giant warrior story, right?
1: That's right. The, right. Life, the life and times of giant warrior, Tiger Steel, Colossus and Butch Masters.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you as we always. I
1: enjoyed it. This yeah. has been fun.
0: Yeah, and we, we can definitely do it again for sure. sure. You know, there's there's always something we could talk about, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, there is. But yeah, anytime you want to do this again, just let me know. I'll make myself available for you. All right, man. Well,
0: thank you very much. I wish you much success with the book. And uh, did you enjoy the process?
1: I did. I did. It was, you know, the... Well, And I mean, you know it stuff. I don't know how many other people know it stuff, but I actually own a ghostwriting company. So, I mean, I used one of our ghostwriters and stuff to write it. And I mean, the process and stuff was was so simple and so easy. You know, it wasn't something I would have wanted to do on my own. But using a ghostwriter and stuff made everything so much easier to do. Right. I mean, you know how hard it is on your end and stuff of, you know, having to write these books. And I can just imagine me
0: trying to do it. Being a ghost writer myself,
1: <laughs> exactly. So you know the process.
0: Yeah, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you, sir. We'll be talking soon. All right, look forward to it. All right, you're listening to the Russellville Podcast, where wrestling lives. Wondered what happened to Lance Von Erich? Find out in his book, *Lance by Chance*, wrestling as a Von Erich. You'll read stories about Chris Adams, Ric Flair, and Billy Jack Haynes, and of course, the Von Erich family themselves. Get your book today on Amazon.